Hello, welcome to the Dear Nikki podcast, where I'm going to be giving you personalized user research advice based on your questions or struggles. So let's dive into today's episode. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back. I'm excited to be here. Actually, to be honest, I'm not here. I recorded this in advance because I am currently at this moment, if you're listening to this on February 20th, when it comes out, I'm currently in Barbados. I'm going to be very sad when I listen to this podcast episode and I'm no longer in Barbados, but my husband and I are on our honeymoon in Barbados. uh, And I, well, Right now, since I'm recording this in advance, I'm very excited to go. We leave super soon. And I'm sure in this moment on February 20th, I am going to be very happy. (laughs) So it's just so weird to think about these things. But anyways, in Jersey today, it's very, very cold, but the sun is out. So there's some semblance of spring and summer coming. There's the light at the end of the tunnel. And it's it's super exciting to see. We don't get a lot of sun sometimes during the winter. We're one of the sunniest places in the UK, with Jersey is, which I feel like there's a pretty low bar there. So it's not really hard to be the sunniest place in the UK if there's such a low bar. But it is, it is sunny and, and pretty out, although very cold. But yeah, I spent some time in my garden this past weekend. And it was just really nice to be able to be outside because the weather has just been so horrendous that it's been hard to get some time and space to be outside long-term. So it was really great. It's it's always nice to get back into the gardening vibe. I tidied up a lot of stuff that was just looking absolutely horrendous. And I was out there for about four hours trying to tidy it up. And it's not like I have a big garden. I just am new to the gardening thing and so didn't really know how to set myself up for success. But we're going to head to the garden center in a few weeks and already start planting some some veg and fruit, which is so exciting. I have I have a succession planning for for planting and I've never done this before. So you you really have to think ahead to what you're going to plant during the different seasons to have it ready for that particular season and it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. But anyways, enough enough about sun and Barbados and gardening. Let's dive into today's question. And that is very, very straightforward question. And I'm excited to dive into it. What were some challenges you faced in your first job as a user researcher? I love this question because one, it's so super important to talk about challenges that we're having. And also two, I don't talk much about my first job as a user researcher. I talk a lot more about like transitioning into user research. I also talk a lot more about up-leveling kind of when I hit that, you know, mid-level senior going into like management and leadership and really talking about strategy and up-leveling different skills within, within my toolbox. I talk more about those. I don't really talk about that first job as a user researcher and the types of challenges, especially that I faced during that job. So really happy to dive in. And because of the nature of this episode, I will be posting a lot of different resources for you to check out more since we only have 30 minutes on this particular platform (laughs) for me to talk. I also don't like to talk too much. So I will be linking 
quite a few resources in the description so that you can dive into some of these a little bit deeper and find solutions that work best for you and your organization. But my first job as a user researcher, I was actually an intern and I went from intern to full-time as a user researcher within the, or not full-time, but intern to junior slash associate within the scope of this one company. So I started as a user research intern and I was doing very basic user research related responsibilities, but I was also doing some design stuff as well. So prototyping, light designing. As soon as they saw my designs, they were like, oh no, <laughs> never mind. So I got taken off the whole design side of things pretty quickly, which worked out very well for me because I didn't want to go down that route of design because as as maybe you might have assumed, I'm not very good at it and that's not really where I can you know, boast my value add. But I started out as this intern and I was the only user researcher at the company. So as an intern, I was still the only full-time user researcher at the organization. My manager was a UX designer who had a little bit of research experience. And I was also, the company was very small. So I was working with a handful of product managers, devs. We had account management. I was working with marketing a bit. We had some sales that I eventually worked with, but generally speaking, within the scope of this this role, I was the I was the only person who was really dedicated to user research. Now, that in and of itself, if we're talking about challenges, was the first and major challenge that I experienced within my first job as, as a researcher. And this is not something that's uncommon. It's actually something that we talk about a lot within the scope of my user research membership is how do you navigate being the first person, so being an inexperienced person on a team right? So an inexperienced user researcher, and there's nothing wrong with being inexperienced. It's, you know, how do you, how do you navigate being a junior researcher and, but the only person who's doing that job. So something that I faced so often, and I can, I can remember this with such clarity is that I would spend so much time researching user research. So I would Google things like how to make a persona or what information should be on a persona, what goes into a research plan. Like this was before there were more resources available online. Now I feel like it's oversaturated with information to sift through to make sure you're getting the great stuff. But back then there was no user research plan template. There there was no discussion guide examples. There, there, There were no tips on usability task writing, you know, I I kind of felt consistently like I was going in without any or indication of what I was supposed to be doing or how I was supposed to be doing it. So frequently somebody would ask me questions and I would have to say, oh, I'll get back to you. Let me think about that. No, was I thinking about it? No, no, no. I was not thinking about it. I was going to Google and Google was thinking about it. There was no chat GPT that I could ask <laughs> in terms of how to set something up. So I think that the major struggle that I had, which all of these other challenges I feel like kind of stem from, and it's a major challenge that I see throughout the industry, is being a user researcher 
in your organization without any other researchers or any other people who are experienced in user research, right? So that you cannot really bounce ideas off of each other or anybody, or you cannot get feedback from people that's kind of relevant to what you should be doing or what you could improve, right? So the problem with, and I'm all for asking for for feedback from other people. I ask my stakeholders for feedback all the time and that's designers, product managers, developers, marketers, and anyone, I will ask for feedback, but there is a certain level of feedback a user researcher can give you that other stakeholders might not be able to because another user researcher, hopefully, is much more of an expert than the other stakeholders involved in research, right? So I would say first and foremost, the biggest challenge that I faced was how am I supposed to do things? (laughs) How do I do this job? And how do I know that I'm doing this job right? And then how do I get feedback on the job if I am the only researcher, right? So I know that there are plenty of people who go into their first research job and they have other user researchers there. I'm not saying that that's not as difficult. There are other challenges that come with being on a team with researchers as well. Like what if I want to do things differently? So say that you go into a team that has a really established process, but you learn something differently and you'd like to try something differently, but maybe that organization or team isn't open to that. So there are plenty of challenges that also come with with being exposed to other researchers. But for me in particular, I had no idea how to do things. I didn't even know the questions to ask, right? So it, it all stemmed from just not having any sort of guidance and support in that particular role so early on in my career. And I see this happen to quite a few people. And it hurts because this is a point in time in your career, especially as one of your first jobs, if you're the only user researcher and you don't have anybody to turn to for guidance, feedback, or support, this can really hurt you. So for instance, a few of my mentees that I have been working with in my one-on-one program have come to me as in this very situation as researchers early in their career who have no guidance or support or feedback or mentorship or anything of the sort and they have no idea where to turn and things that are taking things are taking them a year to do or learn that in reality if you had more support could take significantly less time right so which is one of the big parts that i try to help people with within my containers and programs is helping to accelerate the learning with that feedback and support so if if you are in your first job as a user researcher and you you're feeling like you don't have anybody to turn to my biggest recommendations are finding either a support group there are plenty of meetups around so when i wasn't doing one-on-one mentorship with other researchers like I, so i i partook i guess would be the word in mentorship where i was the mentee I was mentored by researchers for a lot of my career because I found that that was the best way for me personally to learn is getting that that guidance and feedback at a personalized level. But there were a lot of times where maybe I didn't have the funds to do so or, you know, it just wasn't realistic at that moment or I didn't have or my mentor wasn't available. And so what I did is I went out and I tried to find other researchers in my area. I was lucky enough to live in New York City for quite some time where there's a plethora of people and different groups. 
So if you are struggling, what I would recommend doing first is looking around for any sort of mentorship, if that's something that you're interested in. But I would also look around to try and form a group of, of people who also have feedback or, or can give feedback or are asking for feedback. So you all can kind of piggyback off of each other and learn from each other and learn from those experiences. That is a super important thing to have. So a support system outside of work often is where user research teams of one or user researchers who don't really have that guidance or support within their organization often turn to. So that's the that's the first thing that I would say in terms of a challenge and some ways to overcome that. Other ways to overcome it are reading books. So there are plenty of books out there and then trying to implement the strategies from those books going to conferences, not only to meet other people, but to also see how other people do things, going to meetups as well, to see how people are doing things, and then taking that back and trying that within your organization, right? The most important thing that you can do, though, is try and find some way of getting a feedback loop, whether that is from a mentor, whether it's from friends, whether it's from a group of peers, any sort of way that you can find a feedback loop is the best thing for you to do within early on in your career. Now, what are some other struggles that I have had as my first job as a user researcher? These, as I said, stem from that inability to get feedback or guidance or support. And they often stem from that feeling of like, what do I do? Am I doing this right? How do I do this? And you know, what's the best way to do X, Y, or Z, right? But I know that some of the things that I struggled with the most, and I'm going to list a few of them, as I said, all came from that feeling of being the first and only user researcher in an organization so early on in my career. So something that really, that I really struggled with, especially early on, was really not understanding what a research process was and how to actually implement a research process. So I learned, I went to General Assembly for UX, UX design, I think it was called back then. I can't really remember, it was quite a long time ago. And within the scope of that particular immersive, we learned research in like three days. <laughs> and that's where I fell in love with user research and said, I want to do this forever. And so, the problem was is that what was readily available to me and what I learned was design thinking, right? And then so I went on to try and understand where research lived within the design thinking process. And the problem that I had the most was they were talking about, oh, yeah, first you research and then you design, then you test, then you iterate. But I was like, well, within those phases where research is happening, like what exactly is happening? What is the process, right? So I struggled a lot with kind of trying to understand what an ideal or what my process was and how to implement that particular process. And what happened is I would go online and I would look up like, what is a user research process or what are the components of a research process? And oftentimes I would get hits from let's say really big organizations such as Google, right? Or IDEO. And I would try and copy and paste that process into my current organization, which was a startup, <laughs> which meant that it didn't work, right? And I just kept on getting 
dragged down or just my confidence just kept kept taking hits because I would try and like use these ideal processes that I saw without understanding that they had no way of thriving within my current organization. And so one thing that I learned to do in this particular circumstance of kind of creating my process and understanding what that is, was actually turn around and start asking people in the organization either how they've collaborated with user research in the past and what worked and what didn't, or how they could imagine collaborating. So I did a little research on my research process within the organization and actually having a chat with a lot of my stakeholders in terms of how they envisioned working with me and what that would look like gave me a really good base to get started on creating a process that again made sense for that organization that wasn't copied and pasted from like google right in which case it wouldn't have worked within the context of the of where i was working in that moment and so what I started doing on a regular basis was talking to my stakeholders, right? So understanding more about the context of the organization, how it worked, how what the product development phases looked like within within the the team and how people envisioned working with me because that became a jumping off point for me to then create my process. I also had a really hard time with stakeholder management in general. I am a very introverted person. I'm a people pleaser. I am very scared of letting people down. I'm very scared of saying no. I'm very scared of saying I don't know. <laughs> I'm very scared of saying I can't answer that. I've gotten a lot better throughout the years, but stakeholder management was something that I very, very, very much struggled with in terms of how to effectively build positive relationships with stakeholders while still keeping my boundaries and at, at the same time making sure we were doing impactful research. So as I mentioned in my first job, I was the first and only user researcher. So quite a lot of stakeholders hadn't worked with researchers before or they had their own idea of what user research was, which wasn't actually aligned with user research. So something that I had to learn to do was how to take stakeholders' requests, let's say, for research and turn them into more user-centric related problems. So oftentimes stakeholders would come to me with a business problem like, oh, this page isn't performing. Can we ask users why they're not doing this or that? And I'm like, mm, we can't really do that. That's, that's a bit tough to do. Rather, why don't we look at how people are interacting with the page currently and maybe try and suss out what's missing or what's confusing or what some of their pain points are? Or maybe we're not, we're totally missing the mark and this page isn't meeting any of their needs or helping solve any problems. Right. So what I had to do was learn how to translate for my stakeholders their questions into something that was actually applicable for user research, but also in a way that assured them that they would get the information that they needed. Because sometimes they would see my translations and go, wait a second, this isn't this isn't what I'm asking. We're not going to get the yes or no answer that I wanted to. So I had to learn how to be confident enough to educate people on user research, which was a big struggle for me because I felt like I wasn't qualified to educate anybody on user research because I was barely educated 
in user research. And so that's where that mentorship and feedback loops came back or getting support from peers really came into importance there because I was, I was feeling so, so much lack of confidence on my own skills, let alone teaching people these different concepts. But that is something that I really had to learn to do is, is to walk this line uh, uh, with stakeholders in terms of taking their questions and making them user-centric, but again, assuring them that I was still going to get the information that they needed or saying, hey, that's not really where user research shines. We can't ask that much about preference. We can't ask yes or no questions when it comes to qualitative user research. How about we try a different angle? I also had to make boundaries in terms of saying no to certain requests or no to certain timelines. So when it came to to the process that I was trying to build, I had to figure out what my boundaries were. So, hey, I'm not going to take any less than three weeks to do this particular usability testing project because we're going to get crappy results from it if we try and hurry, right? So what I had to learn how to do, it's a bit political, is say, you know how in improv they say yes and, right? And I always say no but. <laughs> so you kind of put it into their into their court. So whenever I had a usability test and I was like, oh, this is going to take three weeks and they like, oh, well, we need the results in one week, I would say, no, I can't do this current scope within one week, but I could try and de-scope it, we would lose this and this and this, but this is something that's achievable within one week. What do you think? Is it worth the trade-off, right? So it's just getting really political and growing that confidence and having those types of conversations with stakeholders. And that was really, really difficult for me as a, as my, my first job in user research, because I didn't even have confidence in myself <laughs> to be able to, to spread this knowledge and to have these types of com- conversations. Because to me, they fre- felt confrontational. It felt like I was bad at my job. Another thing that I struggled with a lot was insights. So I had no idea how to write and share insights that inspired people to take action. And maybe this kind of falls under stakeholder management a bit, but I'm I'm putting it a little bit separate in terms of technical skill of insight writing. So something that I really struggled with was getting people to care about my insights. And I felt like I would go and do research. And to me, it would be very interesting, very obvious. And I was thinking we need to change all these things. Hey, look at this. This is so important. And then my insights would just kind of go unheard or they would get shoved aside or deprioritized or people in the meeting would be like, oh, that's so interesting and then do nothing about it. (laughs) So I had to learn how to write insights that inspired action. And I'm I'm going to link to quite, as I mentioned, quite a few resources in the description, but one of them is all about writing insights in particular and how to write insights that inspire action. But the, the biggest thing that I will say is that stakeholders care about what they care about, right? So if you have a product manager, I use product managers as the example because they are the stakeholder that I work most with. If you have a product manager that's working on a retention team that's sitting there and people are churning and people are, you know, their retention rate is down or people are leaving the website before they're doing certain things that are important, if you tie your insights back to that, I can tell you that that product manager will care 
right? Same with, let's say you have a product manager who's on an acquisition team, right? They're trying to acquire new users and they're finding that people download the app and open it, but then they bounce during onboarding, right? So then what you can do is if you've if you've done research on on onboarding and you tie your insights back to the fact that, you know, something is making people leave onboarding before they start using the product, that product manager will listen, right? So people care about what they care about. And one thing that I really learned when it came to insights was what's the what's the consequence of this insight how does this insight impact what our teams are currently working on and that to me was a huge switch in terms of getting people to listen to and act on my insights because suddenly i was not just saying oh well you know seven out of 10 people couldn't find out how to move to the next step in onboarding or seven out of 10 people you know said that they were confused about what was next or they didn't they got stuck for some reason you know yes that that to me as a researcher is like obviously we should pay attention to this people are failing this task but sometimes you need to go that step further and say if seven out of ten people are failing to get to the next task that means that you know potentially 70 percent of these people are going to churn. <laughs> They're not going to come back. So really relating relating the consequence of if we don't listen to this, if we don't listen to this in, insight, what is the impact on the team's goals? So really getting into that that insight writing. And again, I'm going to share a resource on that. And then I would say one of the last things that I struggled with was workshop facilitation. And this just has to do with a lot of practice. I didn't know how important workshop facilitation was going to be as a user researcher and how that was kind of the crux of activating my work, right? Because yes, we can we can throw insights over the fence, we can present them and and hope for the best. But one of the best ways to get people to take action is not only writing these compelling insights, but also going a step further and activating them. And one of the, again, one of the best ways to activate insights is through workshop facilitation, right? So bringing in insights that you found and running something like an ideation workshop where you're taking your insights and you're creating solutions for those insights and then going out and testing them. And that's also how you get into a really nice flow of user research, you know, so you're doing generative research, you're getting these insights, you're bringing them into an ideation workshop, you're creating solutions based on that, you're going out and usability testing, or even beforehand, you can concept test, then refine, usability test, and then uh, monitor the progress after you've de developed something and iterated on it. So that's how you get into like that beautiful, wonderful cadence of user research where you're in all parts of the product development process. And so I didn't know how important the getting in front of people and being able to facilitate things was going to be. <laughs> I wish I had known, but that took a lot, a lot of practice. And that is actually a really awesome way to get started on getting feedback and getting comfortable with asking for feedback because for a workshop facilitation, for instance, yes, it's great to get feedback from other user researchers who kind of understand what you're trying to do in the workshop as a user researcher. However, I would say asking for feedback 
on your workshop from your stakeholders is even more important from the people who are participating in the workshop because what that does is they're the ones who who matter the most because they're the ones who are in there that you've invited to hopefully come to a certain outcome. So if you want to get started and get more comfortable asking for feedback, workshop facilitation is the best place to start, especially if there are no other user researchers in your world because you can kind of ask anybody for that feedback in terms of whomever is participating in your workshops. But yeah, those are the struggles. Those are only, it's the tip of the iceberg, I feel like, but we're getting, we're getting closer to our time right now. But just always know that all of these things require a lot of practice. They require a lot of time and effort and energy put into them. They, these aren't skills that we can learn over the course of days, weeks, even months. You know, it took me years to get as good as I am at generative research, as good as I am at workshop facilitation. I used to not even be able to articulate my thoughts in a helpful way to stakeholders. It took me years to understand, oh, insight writing is not just about a finding, but it's also about a consequence, right? These things took me years and years and years. And so just be patient with yourself. Don't expect to run into something in the first place and just know everything because it's just not, it's not applicable. It's just not possible. But if you are looking for support, there are some ways, and I'll link to these within the description of, of getting support through, through me and, and some of the ways that I work with other researchers to help them kind of accelerate this, this learning phase. But you just can't expect to be amazing at something that you haven't put a lot of time and effort into. And just know that you're not alone. A lot of other people are experiencing these same struggles and these, these same difficulties and how to overcome them. And you know, user research is still in its infancy when it comes to a field. So we have a long way to go before before the support is almost like given to us and almost a right to have, you know, uh, we have some time before that happens. But in the meantime, do your best to give yourself that patience and grace and look for feedback loops wherever you can, get support from whomever you can in any sort of way. And you know, just keep just keep moving forward, experimenting, being okay with failing and learning. And, you know, that is how you are and become an amazing user researcher. So thank you. I, I hope that this was helpful and I look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to hit subscribe and submit your next question. And I look forward to talking to you all soon. Bye.